0: everybody and welcome back to opera off stage i'm jesse and i'm michelle and today we have uh, a collection of just weird and interesting things from opera and music history i like these episodes (laughs) they're they're really fun to record and there's some like just wacky random things that like maybe you've heard about maybe you've wondered about maybe it's come across in like one of your music history classes or in the discussion they're just not like the highlight of like the canon of opera and music history and so it's just funny to to deep dive into some of these little intricacies that have happened throughout the centuries yeah my favorite story that i'm gonna read today came from the fact that i just saw this wild picture and i was like that can't be a real thing and it kind of sort of is it's the strangest instrument i've ever heard of or seen oh we love to see it so to start us off this is just kind of a little bit of interesting music potpourri but not that anyone uses CDs anymore, <laughs> unless you've got an older car, but the standard length <laughs> of a CD for those who remember them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I, you know, I'm, I bet there are actually plenty of people who have, like, not not seen them, they know what they are, but, like, have never used a CD. But that actually brings me so much pain. <laughs> you just sent a, sh- a full shiver down my spine. It just revealed <gasps> we're, <old>. we're ancient. <sighs> exposed but uh the standard length of a cd uh was decided in the 1980s to be 74 minutes long because that was the length of the slowest recording of beethoven's ninth symphony which is a really slow recording for the ninth symphony anyway i think this is really funny i love the fact that just classical music decided this for the rest of all music and cds but 74 like it bugs me so much that it's not 75 (laughs) Yeah, very, very, very (laughs) specific. Uh, Yeah. The real history of this is actually that like, or I should say like the supposed history of this, Sony and Philips, these two giant audio companies knew that the people most likely to buy CDs were actually people who liked classical music. And so their way in was by getting a very legendary conductor, Herbert Von Karajan, Uh, And they knew he would be super instrumental. They needed his endorsement on the CD. Oh, yeah. He was huge. His one condition for the whole thing was that the listeners had to be able to listen to the whole of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony without interruption. (laughs) And so he didn't give a specific one, though. So they had to find the longest recording, which was from 1951, of Beethoven's Symphony. uh, And they made it that length. Now there there's some people who say that's different. They said there's one that says like the president of Sony actually liked that recording of the Ninth Symphony so much that he insisted that it should fit onto one C D. But basically when they were creating it, the the amount of memory they were trying to create is entirely based on this one recording. I love that. Somebody that's apparently many people's jam. That just that one super indulgent, slow recording. I love that. Now, whether or not this is exactly true is uncertain, because the original length of a CD was actually 72 minutes, but it was later lengthened to 74. So uh, Beethoven's Ninth probably played some role in the length of CDs, but in more in the interesting history of classical music and CDs. So I decided while I was looking this up, I was curious as to what is the largest box set of CDs sold. And it actually uh, is a collection of Mozart. Oh, my God. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Right. So this came out in like October of 2016, and it contains the entirety of Mozart's collective works. It's called Mozart 225, the new complete edition. And it is 200 CDs of Mozart. And the reason it's called 225 is because it's 225 years since his death. So there are over 240 hours of music between chamber, orchestral, theater, sacred, private and supplement, which is like fragments Which is kind of funny to me because as much as I like Mozart, I don't know that I care about tiny little partial pieces that he's written. Sorry to the Mozart scholars out there. People who have their dissertation on the supplements, on Mozart's supplements, are screaming. Mm, That's fine. (laughs) They don't have time to yell at me because they're still working on their dissertation. Isn't that right? Um... (laughs) 240 hours, though. That's just too much. Mozart really had no chill. Yeah, over four thousand tracks that's crazy wow it also comes with some books and a biography of the composer i'm gonna see i actually didn't look up the price which is dumb of me yeah i was gonna say uh, how much does that cost like a thousand dollars all right let's take our bet i'd say it's probably like two thousand right because it's huge it's massive it has to be okay (laughs) <laughs> to see it on Amazon it is out of stock right now for all of you who are looking to drop fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> on a on Mozart oh wait the new complete edition too they made a new edition oh either way it's it's not listed on here anymore but it said it was fourteen hundred dollars at the time which makes sense to me i honestly I honestly like I can't even imagine what 200CDs looks like of the same. I'd be so distraught if like one of them got messed up too. Oh yeah, like a couple of them are out of order. One of them's cracked. Oh my gosh, absolutely not. You get it. you get two of the same kind in one of them, so you're missing. Oh no, you're missing number two hundred. Yeah, you it's, have one through. It's got like the handle and Bach rearrangements he did when he was younger. It's got so much in it. I do wish though, like I wish. Uh, I wish it was more like, oh, there are other goodies. I was going to say, I was like, I almost wish it was like more like a lot of like bundles you would get now from musicians where it would have like a tiny figurine or something in it. Oh my God. Yeah, no. So it's got the two full books. It's also got five frameable art prints. Oh, wow. You could really have a fully decked Mozart home. Free access to online or text scores and groundbreaking libretto app with full sung texts and translations. I just want that index. Wait a second. I was like, wait. <laughs> Sold separately? Maybe somewhere? Maybe. Huh? <laughs> but yeah. I mean, that's that's insane, though. Like, if you really think about it, 15,000 minutes of music, 240 hours, right? That's nuts. But even the previous record was actually sent by another classical musician the original and the one that was like in the guinness book of world records was a compilation of arthur rubenstein had 142 disc set which is wild because i just didn't (laughs) realize he's that prolific mozart came in and was like excuse me (laughs) do you think they wanted it to be a specific amount they just kept adding things on to mozart so like i want this to be a little longer and so that's why the fragments and the rearrangements are in there i like to think that not all of it actually is mozart that there's like some random like i don't know whoever was big in the 80s like just pop music is snuck in there because who the heck <laughs> would ever know just, you get you know I mean? like halfway it's through like, yeah literally <laughs> but i'm just like i'm trying to process like i'm still not over it 240 hours that means you could listen to this box set for ten days straight. But like, I'm just saying. Like, do you think they really wanted to hit 200 CDs? And they're so like, just just throw that recording on there. Double tracks. Like, who even knows? <laughs> uh, somebody listen to the entire 240 hours and let us know. Are the wait? Are there any reviews on the Amazon listing? Oh my gosh! I didn't even look. I'm a fool. Jesse, that's where the real tea is gonna be. <laughs> You know, I need, if anybody's listened to all 240 hours and found something incorrect, it's going to be on the Amazon review. <gasps> there are 139 ratings. Oh, wow. Oh, so 89% are five star. People are very pleased. Her book's gorgeous. surprising, <laughs> Surprisingly heavy. What did you think? Um, I'm going to look at the one star reviews because I think this is more interesting. <gasps> Check to ensure that this 33 is included. It's missing in some. Ooh. And people, oh, people were upset. They said the quality control is bad. They had scratch CDs. Imagine paying $1,400 and literally anything's wrong with it. It doesn't even matter. Like if the outer box was bent, I'd be pissed just because I spent that much money on it. Like an entire month plus. of money. Yeah, so, It says so many of Absolutely the CDs not. are defective. The final track on most of the CDs won't play. Oh, okay. This person says they spent $400, though. So it must not, it may have gone up in price when it stopped because people were reselling it since so it, it was a limited print. So it probably, oh. it, I bet it was like $400 or $500 when it first came out. I'm like, oh, that's reasonable. Sheesh. Yeah, we both sat here like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. So the original oh, yeah. price, I apologize. The original price was four hundred and seventy-nine ninety-eight. And that people must have been reselling it for like fifteen hundred. Which is Ew, that's such a heinous that's such a heinous price. Four hundred and seventy nine ninety-eight? Everything about that is so bad. I'm going to bet you though, <laughs> but because it was produced here, I bet if I put this into a different what happens if I put this in Euros or 7998? No, it still doesn't make sense. Oh Mozart. He he's in it for the drama even so long after his death. <sighs> Even after 225 years after his death. Yep. Still just being a little little silly man. Still just being just a little goof. <laughs> just feeling a little goofy silly. So it's important to announce that uh, some of the stories that we're going to be reading were brought to us or suggested to us by some of the members in our Discord, um, which is really, really good fun. and we had asked them like what were some just like random music history facts that you thought were funny or interesting or like you just hadn't really heard before and someone wrote in that Philip Glass drove a taxi in New York so he could make ends meet and I had like vaguely heard of that but like the more I think about it the more just entertaining and amusing that whole idea is I think like I mean obviously Philip Glass was like modern and alive he is such a revered figure that it's kind of like funny to think of him as having a day job like it's funny to think of him as like pre like full-time successful composer and so i found this article from the atlantic that's a transcribed interview between lola fadulu who's the interviewer and philip glass and they go in like very very detailed conversation about glass's experience um, being a taxi driver and this just like really I found it so funny. So I'm just going to read a couple snippets from this, um, from this interview for your enjoyment. So one snippet starts off with Fadulu saying, While you were really getting started, you worked as a plumber and as a taxi driver and also as part of a moving company. Why did you work those jobs? Jesse, do you want to read Philip Glass? Sure. I had an ensemble at the time and I would go out and play for three weeks. We would come back from the tour and we usually had lost money. So I had to make money immediately. What a mood. I put an ad in the paper my, and my cousin <laughs> and I ran the company and I moved furniture for about three or four or five weeks and then I went on tour again. Again, we lost money and that went on for years. I thought I was going to go on for the rest of my life, actually. Never occurred to me that I would actually be able to make a living, really, from writing music. That happened kind of by accident. Ah, Philip Glass, always with the uplifting message. <laughs> Truly, but it's also so relatable. But what a mood to be like, we went on tour, we lost money, went on tour again, lost some more money. <laughs> it's funny though because like i had heard about taxi driver i had no idea that he had worked as a plumber and i really didn't know he worked as part of a moving company and i kind of they don't really talk about the moving company all too much and it makes me sad because i really want to know if he hired out workers or if he himself was like lugging around boxes because like he's a pretty skinny guy like he's pretty he's pretty oh yeah Not a lot of muscle on that, on Mr. Glass, so I just like the thought of him, like, as a young man having to lug all these boxes is really funny to me. Things I never thought I'd Google, young Philip Glass. Yeah, I mean, he still looks, you know, like an artsy, kind of scrawny kid. Philip Glass is, like, one of the (laughs) more Tim Burton-esque looking people I've seen in my life. It's the, it's all in the eyes. It's all in the eyes, like, just just long long you know (laughs) yeah just long boy but yeah no it's hard to imagine it's also very funny to think of somebody like being in a taxi with philip glass well that's what's really funny so the interview goes on and fadulu says i feel like composers are viewed a lot differently than plumbers and taxi drivers and philip glass says let me tell you something if you're in new york city you might hail a cab and there's a good chance that driver would be an actor or performer A lot of day jobs around New York are picked up by people in the arts. And it was very common to find the waiter at the coffee shop you went to was having a concert later in the week and you'd be invited to come to the concert. So my experience was quite different from what you're describing. A lot of people in theater and dance and filmmaking, music performance, we all had day jobs. And eventually, if you were lucky, you spent more time doing your art than making a living. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a good message to send to people. Yeah, and it's also like nothing's changed. Like everybody's just doing what they got to do. To, to pursue their art and to make a living especially in New York yeah my god We complain about California, but New York, everything is so freaking expensive. You go to any major city, you're drowning. Yeah. So the interview goes on. He talks about like, there's this one section where he's talking about um, how it was actually pretty dangerous. And he had like a lot of really scary stories. One where he picked up these two guys that were like laughing uncontrollably and were super unruly. And they're just throwing money, like throwing money in the cab, throwing money out the window, like had just (gasps) robbed a bank. And he had to drive them. Yeah. And it's crazy because he had like, obviously not like bank robbers in his car, but there would be like unruly people or like violent people. And at the time, like if a police car was also just like patrolling the area, he would like pull in front of them and like drive slow. So that the, I guess that was like some sort of code or whatever that policemen knew to kind of pull them over and check and see what was going on. But he talks about how it was a pretty rough living and he did it. I think, honestly, up until like his 30s or something or, or maybe even 40s is when he like stopped. He had like already been commissioned to write a full opera when he like basically yeah. had to stop. Um, so it was, it was something he really did for a long time. But I just think that's wild. Well, just I think there's crazy. also something very grounding about being away from artistic spaces, not necessarily in the absence of artistic people. But, you know, think of how many people you would meet driving a taxi or even moving furniture. Like, you're looking into people's lives, and that's kind of a neat experience if you work on the, the production side of creative things. Totally. And he goes on to say that one of his, like, favorite things about driving a taxi, because Fadulo asks him, you know, oh, was there anything that about driving a taxi that you could transfer over to composing or performing or music at all? And he was like, yep, all I did was listen to the radio, and there were some music stations that I liked that played good music. Like, that's literally just his answer. And I really, really love that. But I think what it all kind of comes down to is Fadulu later asks, you know, is there anything that you would tell like young students? And Glass goes on to say that when I do concerts, I often give talks to students. They get them together and I talk to them in the afternoon and we talk about music. Not too long ago, one young fellow said, tell me one thing I can take away from this talk that I'll remember and that's important. And I said, no, I'll give you one word. What's that? Independence, I said. And I think that's really what he got out of taxi driving and from these other companies as well. And it's just like, I love that because at the end of the day, like independence is such a huge part of being able to pursue music and being able to have the ability to do and the time to focus on your craft. Well, yeah. And, you know, the ability to walk away, like Philip Glass saying he never really expected to make a huge living off of it means you have more space to negotiate because you don't mind you know your life doesn't mm-hmm. depend on this next production. So I just really liked the story. Thank you for writing this in from our Discord. It I just like this because obviously you can read very like humanizing things about like Beethoven and Mozart and Verdi and all these like cool things um, from like these huge composers, but nothing is as relatable as like Philip Glass driving a taxi in New York. You know what I mean? Like not all of it translates over as like amazingly as just being a taxi driver and composing like oh yeah. I just love that so that's Mr. Glass glad he doesn't have to drive taxis anymore and we can enjoy his work <laughs> <laughs> yeah so my next story we've kind of chit-chatted a little bit about um in a previous episode we chatted about and I, I can't remember if this was in last valentine's day episode or if it was in one of our composer drama well i think it was in our composer drama episode where we talked about Ravel and his obsession for little objects miniatures like tiny worlds of figurines and all little things that were worked by clockwork but first of all like i honestly like this just makes me so happy Like, to think of Ravel just being, like, so enamored with these little toys, basically. Like, the the cutest ever. And it translated to, like, a lot of different types of objects, his clothes. Um, So we've chatted about it before. It's not a super obscure thing to know about Ravel. But it is funny because it's not like it was some well-kept secret. Like, other contemporaries of him his knew that he was, like, super into this. I mean, and it also translated into his work and his approach towards music. So Stravinsky even once described Ravel as the most perfect of Swiss watchmakers, which refers to the intricacy and the precision of Ravel's works, which obviously modern-day scholars also are well aware of. But what's cute is that Ravel was aware of this tendency, and he even admitted to striving for technical perfection as well. And he said... My objective, therefore, is technical perfection. I can strive unceasingly to this end since I am certain of never being able to attain it. The important thing is to get nearer to it all the time. Yeah. Which I really like. I like the fact that he like, see, this This is what we all need to know. Like perfection, perfectionism, like no perfection doesn't exist all we can do is to continue to get closer and closer to it what's funny is when I think about Ravel's music it doesn't feel that way and I mean that in a good way I, I doesn't feel like you know mechanical or overly perfecting it feels good <laughs> when you listen to Ravel's music yeah it feels it feels very organic and flowing compared to the way that he kind of talks about it yeah which is very interesting I suppose, like, it is interesting to have that frame of mind while the end result being so different. I bet Ravel is a bit like you. Because for those who don't know, Michelle personally, (laughs) Michelle is, like, a type, she's, so, you know, there's type A and type B, and type B is a little bit loosey-goosey, and type A is a little more regimented and a little more, like, needs form, like, needs structure. Michelle is a type B human, like, personality-wise, but she's very type A in how she goes about (laughs) Doing things, she's very organized, very list oriented, and like date schedule set it up. You know, she li- you like a plan. There's, it's a good thing, and that's what this sounds like to me. Because, yeah, obviously his music's incredible, but he he feels very organic. Wow, thanks. <laughs> me, me.
1: Yeah, it's like
0: that's about <laughs> as good as compliments can get. Me, uh, you know, catch Revel and I <laughs> just uh, having a good time together. That's a good personality music for you, too. Like, I would say, if you listen to Ravel, you know who Michelle is. (laughs) Woohoo! It's kind of funny, though, because, like, this is such a side tangent. (laughs) But can you imagine taking Ravel to Legoland? (laughs) Can you imagine introducing Ravel to Legos? (laughs) Rip, Rip! Rip, Ravel, you would have loved Legos. Like, can you imagine the joy that man would have experienced at... Oh my gosh, especially like the, now they're like, they're mechanical Legos, like ones that are just constantly in motion and things. There's one that's, I'll I'll post some stuff on the Discord. There's going to be a lot of posting for this episode on the Discord. I have like so many pictures and files. So if you want to see some fun stuff, hop on our Discord, uh, because in our channel from the episode, I'm going to be posting a lot of uh, pictures and videos and other info and links to the articles that we read for these. So... He talk about being born in the wrong time. Like, imagine missing out on Legos. (laughs) Miniatures are still super popular. Like miniatures and miniature sets, like the Legos, the Nano Blocks. Gosh, he would have loved D and D, Minecraft. (laughs) (laughs) Minecraft, no. Wait, what's the new one? Like Roblox or whatever it's called. Catch our new list article. Which composers would have used Roblox and which composers would have used Minecraft? Wow. (laughs) Um, Anyways, so (laughs) jumping forward. um, Building off of of Ravel's love of toys and, you know, mechanics and clockwork. uh, What I didn't know uh, while I was looking into this that I thought was really funny is there was this book called "Livre Futur. From 1886 and the story or book is about um it's set in the laboratory of thomas edison in new jersey where the inventor laments that his phonograph arrived too late to compact uh, to capture history's key moments so edison builds a female robot um, from the wires of two phonographs of gold for lungs and a cylinder on which her gestures are recorded and basically you know, Ravel's being super fascinated by machines later toyed with the idea of setting E.T.A. Hoffman's story of the mechanical doll Olympia, which I just thought was so interesting because I never like put those two together oh. because obviously we have Offenbach's Tale of Hoffman opera, right, which premiered in 1881. But I was like, I was thinking that would have been so cool if Ravel could have set something to it. But what's cool is it turns out that Ravel did attempt to set an opera about the character Olympia, which I, was news to me. Maybe people know that. I didn't know that. The opera Olympia was to be based on Hoffman's The Sandman, and he even made sketches for it in 1898 to 1899, but he didn't end up making that much progress. And unfortunately, along with his other second opera that he wrote after this, they were both later destroyed and We don't know what they looked like. We don't know what they sounded like. I was trying to look around if anybody knows if like there are any fragments that still exist. I couldn't find anything. Just basically the working title and that he had worked on it from 1889 or 1898 to 99. And that makes me really sad because for somebody who was so interested in like toys and mechanics, like Olympia is the perfect muse for Ravel. And it would have been really, really cool to have that piece in in the canon. See, but that's like the curse of perfectionism. Is that you would rather take something out of the universe than let anyone ever see it? I know. I think she was probably too special for him to really like portray, and in a way that that made him happy. So I guess for now we have yeah. often box version. But man, what a like what a perfect character for him to set. You know, I wish that like. Because obviously his other work was moved into his later opera, but like we don't have anything. And it would have been cool if he had even salvaged it for like art song purposes, but nothing. We don't have anything. It happens. <laughs> Artists. <laughs> so basically I'm going to get a time machine, go back, grab Revelle. After a full day at Legoland, I'm sitting on down to finish writing this opera. <laughs> I'm be like, listen. Listen, sir. You type A, type B freak. <laughs> Get to work, get over yourself, yep. get this out here. It matters. Yep, I need it. <laughs> I need it for my podcast. What's well, a podcast? Don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, of course, the best for last and, and what made me want to do this episode. I saw this picture. What on the actual thing says La Piganino? <laughs> and it is a keyboard with pigs attached to it. And I looked at the sketch and it looks really old. But I sat there and I was like, that cannot be a real thing. There is no way that's a real thing. But oh, at least in drawings and in thought, it is a real thing that somebody planned to make. So it goes by a lot of names. The Hog Harmonium, the Piganino. Oh, my favorite. The Schweinorgel. Oh. Swineway, which is my favorite. And the Porco (laughs) Forte. That's also really good. I don't know. Piganino is so cute. But something about like the heft of Hog Harmonium. (laughs) (laughs) Let's describe a little bit of what this is. Uh, And for those of you wondering, it's exactly what it sounds like it is. It is a keyboard instrument that makes a sound from pigs by poking them. So if you think about the hammers on a piano, you've got the basic idea. Is it animal cruelty? Yes. (laughs) PETA is screaming. (laughs) PETA is already protesting. Louis XI of France was basically, he challenged the Abbey of Bain to develop such an instrument like it sounds like something that a bunch of people were just discussing around a table and they were like bet you couldn't make it so the abbe de Beigne, who was actually like a constructor and an inventor he actually supposedly accepted the order without payment and it was a variation of an organ using a keyboard to pick the pigs which were sorted size-wise which does apply to a lot of instruments i don't know that it applies to pigs yeah i think it would only work if it wasn't about size but was actually about age you know how like puppies have really high voices Mm -hmm. so i think maybe younger pigs would would squeal higher i don't know (laughs) this is not my area like a little a little peppa pig versus like a a papa pig (laughs) so here's here's a description of it basically the master of the royal music, having made a large and varied assortment of swine, embracing specimens of all breeds and ages, these were carefully voiced, okay, so they listened, and placed in an order according to several tones and semitones, so it arranged that a keyboard communicated with them, communicating with them is kind of like a, a very gentle term, uh, severally and individually, by means of rods, ending in sharp spikes. Ah, yes. So rude. I hate when somebody communicates me with, to me with a sharp spike. Uh, In this way, a player, by touching any note, could instantly sound a corresponding note in nature and was enabled to produce at will either a natural melody or harmony. The result is said to have been striking, but not very grateful to human ears. Goodbye. I can't handle the fact that they said they were carefully voiced. Did these swine, like, get voice lessons? Like, I don't understand i'm dead yeah so uh, for most people they don't believe this was ever actually made you know there's obviously there's you know notation about it but the idea that anyone actually did it is uncertain at best but the piganino i know swine (laughs) way another very similar idea for these instruments is uh the cat organ oh god uh, which consists of a line of cats fixed in place with their tails stretched out under a keyboard so that they cry out when a key is pressed uh, the cats would be arranged according to the natural tone of their voices there is absolutely unlike the piganino which may have existed at one point there is no real record of a cat organ actually being built other than like just described in literature <laughs> the history of kind of these instruments and the stories behind them are usually kind of fictitious things to basically criticize the cruelty of the royals. Mm. Oh, wow. Getting deep. It's basically saying, like, the, the royals are so rich that now for entertainment, they're, like, harming cats. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. If they can, like, beat up these pigs for music, then what are they doing to the poor? Yeah. Basically. And the history of this actually goes way further back than you would suspect. Because most people think that the design was originally created by Athanasius Kircher, a German Jesuit scholar. Um, Kircher wrote about the instrument in 1650, saying it was made for a mopey monarch. Uh, in order to raise the spirits of an Italian prince burdened with the, by the cares of his position, musician created for him a cap piano. Musicians selected cats whose natural voices were different pitches and arranged them in cages side by side so that when a key on the piano was depressed, a mechanism drove a sharp spike into the appropriate cat's tail. The result was a melody of meows that became more vigorous as the cats became more desperate. Who could help but laugh at such music? Me. Anyone who likes cats and hates animal cruelty. Thus the prince was raised from his melancholy. You guys, though, honestly... I love hearing about this, but it's the pictures, it's the sketches of these instruments that really do it for me. The cat organ, uh, the picture which we promise we'll post in our Instagram stories and in our Discord, they don't look like cats. I don't even know what they look like. They're they're just vaguely animals. (laughs) I will be posting this one and asking people to tag themselves. Yes. Like, it's the classic, like, has this person ever seen a cat? From left to right, for when you guys see this, I am the fourth one from left to right. <laughs> it's exactly me. Yeah. It's a, an expression that could communicate many things. It is very haunting. I kind of feel like I'm the end. I'm the one closest to the right. <laughs> if I'm feeling a little mischievous, I might be the third one. Oh, the third one is very <laughs> <laughs> But there's, there's another one uh, in the 16th century. There's a historian who describes seeing one when King Philip came into Brussels and... This one is also very suspect because the description is that the parade was rowdy and it included a cat organ played by a chariot-riding bear. What? A bear? In a chariot. Let me go ahead and just read it for you. The most curious was on a chariot that carried the most singular music that can be imagined. It held a bear that played the organ. Ah, yes. (laughs) Instead of pipes, there were 16 cat heads with its body confined. The tails were sticking out and were to be held... To be played as strings on the piano, the corresponding tail would be pulled hard, and it would produce each time a lamentable meow. I don't think bears can grab. I don't think. So. Well, maybe they can, but not not with that much precision. Somehow, I b- would more believe it if it was a functional keyboard and a bear playing it than if it was a bear pulling yeah. tails. Listen, I know people had bears. I don't know if they had bears then. I I I think we can safely say no. I can say I think we can safely say somebody wanted to talk about their parade as if it was a lot cooler than it was, and they were like, "What's cooler than a bear playing a piano in a chariot, and the the piano is made of cats?" I don't know you. I, you really can't one up that even today, even in modern times. <laughs> Find me a crazier proposition. That's a that's a quinceanera I would like to go to. But this this whole myth <laughs> and this idea of this cat piano continues like all the way into the 1800s, where. German psychiatrist. The Germans are really into this cat piano. It's the right amount of nonsense, but like science yeah. that they love. So Johann Christian Ryle, who coined the word psychiatry, oh, he also thought the Katzenklavier was a uh, had real medical potential. He suggested <gasps> that it could help chronic daydreamers, um, which I don't need to be attacked. Leave me alone. <laughs> snap back to reality. <laughs> Uh, he said that a fugue played on the instrument when the ill person is so placed that he cannot miss the expression on their face and play of these animals must bring Lot's wife herself, her fixed state, into conscious awareness. I love this. Like, is your mental health, like, really weighing you down? Well, have you tried a and club year? Have you, have you <laughs> tried watching cats be tortured? <laughs> that is so bad. That's I hate everything the worst. about this. Listen, there are a lot of bad treatments people suggest sometimes in therapy and psychiatry. I would say watch me play this cat piano might be among the worst. <laughs> oh gosh, you guys. I can't wait for you to see the pictures, because that's what really does it. The artwork of this <laughs> is just way too funny. I heard you have some uh treatment resistant depression. Could I interest you in cat piano? A little piganino. Oh, a little swine way, freaking hog harmonium, a little (laughs) the porco forte too, like goodbye. Well, that's all we're actually gonna have time for on this episode. I've actually got a couple more stories that I will save for next time, but. If you have any other, like, music fun facts, if you have corrections for the episode, you have just anything interesting to share, like, these stories. We love seeing them. They crack us up. And they're a lot of fun to share. They're so much fun, you guys. Thanks for, for helping us out with this episode. You guys really had some some great, great suggestions. Shout out to everybody who we read on the podcast today. All the links and credits will be in our Discord. And all these pictures, don't you worry, will be on our Instagram. So we need we need to hear your, your hot takes on the Hog Harmonium and the the Katsuin club year but if you guys want to chat with us the best place to go is our instagram that's at opera offstage you can also chat with us on facebook on twitter on tiktok on youtube all under opera offstage or chat with us on our discord for more fun stories and more chit chat about fun music history facts otherwise we will see you next week bye bye